Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Greg Barnes and Taylor Vipolis. Guys, the news broke earlier on today that there will be 13 total UNC football players having to serve some sort of suspension as a result of them selling some of the team-issued Jordan shoes. I'll let Greg read out the list here in a little bit, but we wanted to jump on the podcast to kind of get everyone's instant reactions. So let's go ahead and start with you, Greg, then. Go ahead and give us the 13 guys and just what was your initial kind of thought when you saw that list? Well, the, the way this breaks down is that there was 15 guys involved uh, and two of the players sold their shoes for $200 or less. And the way the NCAA bylaws kind of lay out is you have to sell items for $200 or more. I think it's more than $200 is actually how it's worded. So if you sell it for $200, you are you are fine. Uh, and so because two of the individuals uh, did not surpass that $200 total, they did not receive a suspension. So now you're left with 13, and, and kind of the way it's set up is you've got you know, uh, Brian Anderson, offensive lineman, uh, Bo Corrales, wide receiver, uh, Curon Johnson, offensive lineman, Link Robinson, linebacker, Chas Surratt, quarterback, and Jordan Tucker, offensive lineman, uh, all have to sit out four games. And then you've also got you know three defensive ends and Malik Carney, Tamon Fox, and, and Tyrone Hopper. And because that there's so many at that one position, the NCAA allowed uh, UNT to stagger those suspensions. And so it's kind of interesting how that's set up, and we can talk about that more later maybe. Uh, but Carney and Fox will both be able to play in the California game, which I think is interesting. Uh, and then they've got those split up, so there's no more than – two guys out in any any given game. And then with lesser suspensions, uh, you're talking you're talking about guys like Greg Ross and, and Trey Shaw, who will both miss two games, and then Jack Davidson, walk on quarterback, and uh Jonah Melton, offensive lineman, will both both miss one. But in terms of my initial take on this, you know, we've been dealing with NCAA issues dating back to July of two thousand ten. And for the better part, the most part of the last eight years, when we start talking about NCAA matters, it's really a matter of nuance. Um, And you start reading these bylaws, uh, and there's a lot of gray area. 
It's a lot of interpretation. You know, what does this bylaw mean? You know, how do you how do you apply this bylaw? Um, is there precedent? All these kind of things. But yet, when we get into a situation like this, it's pretty black and white. You know, I mean, it's it's a given thing where look, you cannot sell university issued uh, apparel, shoes, equipment, you name it, for profit. You can't do it. And uh, I would like to get Taylor's take on kind of the, the education process that compliance provides. But when you look at you know, what happened and then you look at the incentive like guidelines of reinstatement and say, look, you know, if you sell shoes for $1,000, it's pretty clear you have to uh, you know, pay back the money, typically to a charity. And then at that point in time, if it's $700 or more, you're looking at a 30% reduction in games played. Of course, you know, college football, you play 12 games a year, 30%, you get down uh, to 3.6 or whatever it is. And so it becomes a matter of rounding up, you have a four-game suspension. So it's pretty easy to do the math once you understand what the, the guidelines actually say. And so you, when you look at this, I don't think there's there's much confusion in why these guys were suspended the way that they were. Yeah, and I think it was also good that Carolina got the list of names kind of out there early on in the camp. But definitely, Taylor, wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, how is the compliance department getting that message to the players that, look, when you get gear from the university, it's supposed to stay yours and you can't go out and sell it. You know, kind of walk us through that real quick. Yeah, the guidelines are, they're all laid out for you in a the beginning of the year meeting or any time you're getting new gear. So it's it's not like the players didn't know they weren't allowed to sell the shoes. Like it's it's an expectation you're not supposed to, you know, get a profit for for uh these things. And the where the problem comes in is, you know, nobody's you get a polo, a Jordan polo, nobody's coming to you and be like, oh my God, I need that Jordan polo. Like these shoes were so rare and which is a huge benefit being North Carolina, you know, this partnership with Jordan, the shoes are so rare that there's really no point in wearing them to value the shoes or, you know, scuff them up. And then what else are you supposed to do with them besides just like kind of keep them in the box? So I'm not, I'm not giving these guys like a reason, like they should have sold them, but it's, it's a tough spot where, you're getting such a valuable item and you kind of don't have anything to do with it because you're not going to wear them. Like from, from my experience, like I'm a pretty big sneakerhead. Like I love buying new Jordans and buying new sneakers. Like if I got something that that rare, like those wouldn't be on my feet. They would be in a box kind of stored away something that I could show my kids later on. But as a player, you have to know you can't turn around and you can't sell those. So it's unfortunate any time, you know, suspensions have to come into play, but it's not a compliance issue. And I, it's not a issue that the coaches didn't tell the players. Um, it just comes down to the players making the wrong choice when they knew what right, what was right and what was wrong. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add this. If, if you look at how this thing played out, I think it's uh, very clear that this was an impulsive decision by these guys. I mean, because on January 11th, 
that's when North Carolina hands these these Nike shoes out. And when are all the shoes sold? January 11th. And I think there's one instance of it happening the next day on January 12th. So this is not like these guys got these shoes and they sat around and got on Google and saying, okay, how much can I get for this pair of shoes? Mm. You know, who, who can I check with to see you know, if I can get $2,500 for it? Mm. it? It's very clear that this was kind of spur of the moment. Hey, I got these incredible shoes. You know, somebody's offering me a thousand dollars. Heck yeah, I'm gonna do it. And that's kind of what you know, Malik Carney talked with us today. And I, I give Malik a ton of credit because in most of these situations, I don't think anybody wants to uh, kind of face the media. When, when you have done something wrong, you've been exposed for it, you've been penalized for it, that's tough. And rather than wait a couple of weeks for it to die down, Malik was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to go ahead and talk to him. So I give him a lot of credit for that. But that's kind of what he talked about. He said, you know, when, when you're a kid and your mom says, you see that iron? It is hot. Do not touch it. How many kids say, all right, I'm not going to touch it. You know, a lot of times the kids are like, yeah, I don't know if it's that hot. And then they get burned. Uh, and that was kind of the, the mindset. And Larry Fedora talked about it as well. It's like, look, yes, this happened. But these are kids. And you know, nobody goes through life and they make the right decision every day, especially kids. I mean, we, we kind of forget that, that. Hey, these are these are teenagers for the most part. And some may be 2021. 20, um, but there's a learning process there, and and talking and talking with Malik and and you know, listening to Larry, I think it's very clear that uh, there's a process involved there. And I, I think all of us that have have gone through life a little bit, you realize that there are some some choices you make, and you're only thinking about yourself, but it affects other people, and that is part of the process of kind of learning that. So when you when you look at how all this kind of played out, uh, I do think it's. I don't want to say innocent because it's not that, but I do think there's some uh, impulsivity involved. And uh, again, kind of like like Taylor, not giving these guys an excuse, but you can kind of see where they're coming from. Yeah, and and I don't think that anyone would accuse us of making excuses here, but I do think it was interesting that um, Inside Carolina mentioned that the case summary from UNC said that the apparently one of the retail guys that just are sneakerheads and obviously they know what shoes are going to be in hot demand that they mentioned that they had also received university issued footwear from student athletes at Michigan, California and Marquette. So it's not as if this is a issue unique to Carolina. And really, I think you could almost say that because there is such a huge multi-million dollar sneaker industry that, you know, when they hear that certain universities are getting these unique style of shoes, it's almost like just throwing blood in the water and the sharks are going to come. And it sounds as if these retail stores and, and certain individuals reached out and kind of really jumped on that impulsivity that you were talking about, Greg. Yeah, I think that's certainly the case. And again, I mean, if we go back to the, the situation with you know, the FBI and college basketball last, last summer, uh, time and time again, you, you see these situations because of the NCAA bylaws being structured the way they are, that who all benefits, right? In this case, it's the shoe brokers. They benefit. In the FBI case, it's, it's Adidas, it's Nike, it's coaches. It's people that are able to make money. Uh, and they they do it kind of off the backs of the players because the players can't make any money. 
And that's what you know, a lot of people have said to me today. So these kids can't even make a couple bucks off their own shoes. And I think that is a legitimate gripe. Uh, and you know, I, I'm by no means a fan of the NCAA, but I do think in this situation, uh, the rules are pretty clear. And if you're going to agree to play at the collegiate level, you're going to have to uh, abide by those rules, especially when it comes to, look, if we're giving you something, whether it's shoes or shirts or whatever, you've got to agree that you can't do it or else there's going to be a penalty. And so it's one of those things. I think people hear it and you're like, well, you know what? You have rules and you've got to abide by those rules. But at the same time, you say, NCAA is a racket. It always has been. What can we do to, to fix this issue? Uh, and I still think we're a long way away from from getting those types of issues resolved. Definitely agree with that one, man. Um, but Taylor, so one of the questions that we, we've seen pop up on the message board is certain fans are asking, well, how did the coaching staff, you know, not realize this was going on or how come they didn't do more? But from hearing Greg's perspective on it, which I agree with, I mean, I just don't know what a coaching staff could have done differently. Again, kind of hearkening back to, to your playing days, you know, is there anything that really a, a coaching staff in America could have done differently to try to maybe avoid this from happening? Yeah, it's something that coaches are going to have to be kind of conscious about going forward. Yeah, you have this great partnership with the Jordan brand, but, you know, how can you do How can you hand out these shoes in a way where you're protecting your players at the same time? And the only thing that I could really think about is, you know, you have these shoes, you tell the guys they're going to get these shoes. And then once they complete their eligibility, you're holding them in the equipment room and then you get them. Um, it's kind of it's it's kind of something to, I guess, look forward to as a player. But once you start seeing these posts on social media, you're going to want the shoes. And the only thing I think you could do to protect these guys while also giving them the shoes is just waiting till they graduate. It's not the the uh, most exciting answer, but I think that's the one way to kind of protect the guy's eligibility and make sure that they could stay on the field while also getting the shoes at the same time. Well, wouldn't that kind of, though, run counterproductive to the argument of uh, if you come to Carolina, you get Jordan brand? I mean, that obviously is a selling point. I mean, it's certainly being used as a recruiting tool. So do you think that that would kind of, I don't know, just kind of maybe rub some players the wrong way that says, hey, we have this awesome stuff, but you can't have it yet. <laughs> yeah, um, you could either, you can't really mark the shoes. Like, I think that's one thing that kind of gets discussed. Like, let's mark, you know, Nathan Elliott's shoes with a number 11 or have something that kind of identifies with him because as like a sneakerhead, as somebody who's passionate about sneakers, like it doesn't matter what's on the sneaker as long as it's not devaluing the shoe so like an inscription really wouldn't change that kind of perception so i don't think there's really any good method to you know handing these shoes out the really exclusive shoes because you know carolina's gotten jordans in the past for anybody who knows sneakers we got the win like 11 i mean uh win like 82 11s and then we also got like the unc 11s and you know there was no problems with those shoes it just happened once it was something that was so exclusive with the jordan brand and then greg do you think that the issue of selling you know university specific stuff 
there's a lot of talk about the NCAA possibly, you know, changing some of their rules. Do you think that this might be something that we see get adapted to in the future? Or do you think that that's just kind of opening up too big of a can of worms that the NCAA does not want to deal with? Yeah, I think there's bigger fish to fry. I mean, I do think there's there's room and need for some massive changes at the NCAA level. Uh, as I've always said, they they put on a hell of a tournament. I mean, they they know how to run tournaments. Give them credit for that. But some of this other stuff, I, I think, is uh, kind of out of the realm, especially when you get into academics. And I think that's the kind of stuff that needs to be handled first, if you will. But the you know, when you get into this kind of stuff, I think you can have a healthy debate. Uh, you know, somebody made the point on the board today, and I think it's a valid one, that you know, in, in 2018. Is seven hundred and fifty bucks that much money? And is it worth you know kid missing a third of his season? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think you can have that discussion, but at the same time, you know what's the limit? You know if a kid's you know, making two thousand dollars off stuff the school gave him uh, without getting in trouble, you know, I mean why wouldn't everybody do it, right? And so I uh, you know I think you're kind of getting into the weeds a little bit there, but I think. You know, when you get into the bigger topics you know, like academics, that's where you can really see some legitimate change that needs to occur at, at the NCAA level. Yeah, and you know, and it's not just the sneakerheads that are obviously that there's a market for university and student athlete gear. I mean, look at how popular the uh, Carolina yard sale is. I, I don't know if they did it last year or not, but I remember the first time that they were selling. <laughs> you know, just game worn gear. I mean, this was not exactly collector's item. So like Taylor was mentioning, I mean, it's not stuff that has a very high quote unquote value, but I mean, God, there were hundreds and thousands of people there just to buy that stuff. I mean, it's the market's there and kind of boggles the mind that there's just nothing that would allow the actual kids to maybe earn a a little bit of money off, off of it. Yeah. I got a pair of the, uh, the threes um, as a part of being on the football staff and, you know, this, the second I got them, I put them like on my social media, just kind of showing them off. Um, and within like an hour, like people were like a thousand dollars, twenty five hundred dollars, like throwing like these offers where I was like, this is crazy. And, you know, everybody was posting them on the on their uh, social media at the same time. So you could see where the guys were coming from. It's just going back. They have to know the difference between right and wrong. Yeah, you know, I think that that's kind of the major central theme here is, you know, we can argue about how right the rule is. But as Greg said at the very beginning, I mean, it's pretty black and white. And, you know, the the law is what the law is at this point in time. So let's take a quick commercial break, though, guys. When we get back, let's kind of look to the future a little bit to see how some of these suspensions might actually impact the team moving forward. And similar to the podcast that Greg and I did with Ross yesterday, we're going to do a live read-in. So, Greg, this is going to be the same travel company. So if you want to provide your anecdote at the end, you know, (laughs) feel free. But for this one, guys, Inside Carolina is proud to announce that there is a new sponsorship and a new partnership where I would like to introduce a local sponsor to the IC podcast. It is a way to go travel. They partnered with IC to provide a better travel alternative for UNC away games. Chuck Joyce, who is a diehard UNC fan and Greensboro native, reached out to IC and wanted us to help him get the word out. Right now, Away to Go Travel is selling packages for the UNC Cal game. The package includes round-trip airfare from RDU to San Francisco, round-trip bus rides to and from the airport and the hotel, 
and a three-night stay at the Hotel Chatuck Plaza in Berkeley, California. This travel package makes things very easy. It takes away all the headache of booking or finding the best price and any hassle associated with traveling to away games so that it makes things as easy as possible for you, the fan. Now, they only have six packages left for the Cal game, so if you want to grab one of those, you have to visit heelstravel.com. That's heelstravel.com or call 336-855-0060 to book now. That website again is heelstravel.com or you can call 336-855-0060. The hotel is less than a half a mile away from the airport and adjacent to the BART metro system, which can get you to and from San Francisco so you can enjoy your time in the Bay Area and catch the Heels football. So that's heelstravel.com or 336-855-0060. And also look for future packages to and from the East Carolina game, as well as up to Virginia for that game on October 27th. So a way to go travel will also be creating packages for when the Tar Heels head to Las Vegas over November 22nd through the 23rd in the Las Vegas Invitational and for the CBS Sports Classic against Kentucky and Chicago on December 22nd. So thank you to everyone for listening to that. And then, Greg, you actually had a, a, a prior dealing with a way to go travel, right? I did. And if, if Taylor didn't listen to our, our splendid podcast from yesterday with Ross, I used the way to go travel back in 2003 to book our, our honeymoon, which was in October of 03. So, Taylor, I'm curious, what were you doing in October of 2003? October 2003, I was in third grade, I believe. Third grade or maybe fourth grade. <laughs> yes, Did there's you have finally a girlfriend some... at that point in time? No, not at that time. I was uh, <laughs> probably just on the playground. There's finally someone younger than me on the podcast. In, in 03, I would have been a sophomore in high school, so a little bit older. All right. So, yeah. see, I need Tommy on this podcast because Tommy makes me feel young. Look, look, Tommy, and then um, w- when I do the podcast with JB later on this week, you know, those two will make everyone feel young. And then, <laughs> all right, guys, well, hey, let's get back to, to talking some football then, which I think the the next question that we saw UNC fans kind of transition to very, very quickly was issue of how will the suspensions actually impact the team? Now, my personal perspective is, I mean, it sucks to lose either one of Malik Carney or Tamon Fox. But because UNC was able to kind of stagger those, and Greg, I'm going to have you explain that because it's still, I don't completely understand it, but it sounds like it worked out for Carolina, so I'll take it. But really, aside from them, you know, Chaz Surratt, we talked about yesterday, it was looking like Nathan Elliott was going to be the starter regardless of what happened here. And aside from those guys, you know, I just don't really see anyone that would impact the, the two deep there that's going to have to miss a significant portion of the season. Well, I would say, I think you have to add Jordan Tucker to the list because he was probably going to be the the third option there at uh, tackle. Just in talking with uh, Chris Kapilovic you know, a couple weeks ago. Um, that, that's one of the reasons they felt comfortable moving Marcus McKeithen inside just to try him out at, at guard. Uh, it's because they really felt that you know, behind Charlie Heck and, and William Sweet, Tucker could be that the next option. So, and then, you know, Greg Ross and Trey Shaw, they're both guys that, that worked with the ones at times in the spring. And uh, we know Jonah Melton was a highly recruited kid who's kind of been battling the injury. So there there are some guys that you would love to have. Uh, but I do think, you know, I do think your point is, is well taken. Uh, but in terms of the defensive end 
situation. You know, the NCAA basically has a, a player safety uh, agreement with teams, right? So if you have a lot of suspensions and you've got multiple suspensions at one position, you don't want to get into a situation where you know, you've got three guys out for four games and then you've got other guys behind them having to play like all the reps. Uh, you don't want those guys to get hurt. And that that's why these situations come about. And that's why the NCAA approved this request. But when you start looking at the actual games, I find it fascinating because Carney, he'll play against Cal, but then he misses ECU, Central Florida, Pittsburgh, all games in a row. But then he plays in the Miami game down in uh, Miami Gardens, but then he misses Virginia Tech. And then you got Tamon Fox, who misses the, you know, the first three games, I guess. Then he actually plays against Miami. And then he misses Virginia Tech, and then he plays Syracuse, Virginia, Georgia Tech. Uh, and, and Hopper, I think he just misses the first four games. So it's interesting how they did that. And, but I also think, and I'd like to, to hear Taylor's take on this, to me it goes back to the point that North Carolina and this coaching staff has circled that California game so many times because in this setup you get Fox and Carney both available for that game. And we've, we've referenced some of the schematic changes that are going to be taking place, both on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball. Uh, those are schematic changes that, that we're not at liberty to, to fully dive into at this point in time. But when you combine that with the fact that, hey, you know, we were able to get uh, these, these suspensions staggered so that both Fox and Carney can play in that game, I think it just speaks to how important that game really is. Yeah, definitely. With them uh, getting to play against California, that game almost moves to as close to a must-win as you can for the general direction of where your season's going to go. You win that toss-up game against California. You go to ECU. They're a pretty down team this year. And if you could come back home to Chapel Hill 2-0, and that would be huge for you know UNC heading into ACC play. Well, after the UCF game, but uh, heading into ACC play, if your team is two and one or even three and zero, oh, then at that point, once the suspensions start kicking in for the guys with the uh, staggered suspensions, you're just hoping your team can kind of rally around each other. You know, winning kind of cures everything. So if they're winning, the the moods are all going to be great around Chapel Hill, and then you're just hoping the guys start the guys that have to replace. Carney and Fox when um, their suspensions come that everybody else kind of elevates their performances. So what impact do you think this might have on the locker room potentially Taylor? Because, you know, I think it, it says a lot uh, that Carney, you know, like Greg said, talked with the media and kind of took full responsibility. Is this going to be something that you think, the players will kind of just hash out internally and then let bygones be bygones? Or do you think it could potentially linger a little bit? I think this is more of a thing that a team can kind of rally behind. Um, You know, Nathan Elliott kind of talked about it today in his press conference. You work too hard to see guys have to sit out with suspensions. So, yeah, the team is kind of upset and uh, disappointed in guys for selling their shoes and getting suspensions. But at the end of the day, you know, that team is still family and they have the chance to kind of rally around and 
kind of prove people wrong. And when guys that are replacing those guys come in, it's their opportunity to kind of step in because at the end of the day, you're always like one or two plays away from getting in the game. And once you get in, it's just making the most of that opportunity. So in in a crazy sense, I think it's kind of a positive for the team just because it gives them kind of another point to rally around in this uh, us versus the world type mentality. Yeah, and I think a, a great example of that, John, is if you go back to 2010, mm-hmm. because oddly enough, you know, you had 13 players that that missed that first game, and then you had you know however many guys that were out three games, four games, and of course, you know, with Quinn and, and Austin a little missing the entire season. But what you had was, especially early, as as things were trickling out, there was this incredible amount of media attention and scrutiny on the team. And, you know, in talking with Kevin Reddick, probably midway through that season, he talked about, he's like, look, he said, it's, it's, it is like Taylor said, it's, it's us against the world. Everybody's coming after us. So what's our option? Do we just give in or do we really kind of unite and, and rally around each other? And that's what that team did. And that team had no business, uh, you know, winning eight games that year, but they did. And I think it really allowed them to, to build that chemistry and that bonding. And I think we saw that last year as well. And that's one of the uh, silver linings maybe of last year is that as, as bad as things went late in the year, they had every reason just to, to cash it in. And they didn't. They, they kept fighting. And by the end of the year, they were playing better ball. And I think that helped them this offseason. But I think that will help them now because they, say, they can say, we went through a ton of adversity last year. And because we stuck together, we had some success. And I think they will they will be able to utilize that uh, this time around as well. And I think that's a good thing for them. And yes, you'd like to have some of these pieces, especially early in some of these you know, maybe toss-up games against Cal and, and Central Florida, and maybe even Pitt. Um, but the fact that you, know, you, you have something that you can kind of embrace and and kind of circle your wagons, if you will. I, I think that could be a beneficial thing for these guys not involved. So this is a question for both of you guys. When you saw the list of suspensions, did it have an impact on your expectations overall for the season for the Heels, like in terms of wins and losses? I could answer that. I'll uh, take a stab at it first. For me, it didn't really make or break what I thought of this uh, UNC team because one of the quotes that Coach Fedora had from the press conferences that they're not changing reps through install up until the first scrimmage. And you're really only losing four people from a 2D perspective. Carney, Fox, Corrales, and then Chad Surratt from, from the 2D. And then with the quarterbacks, it's not um, – you can't put two of them out at the same time. So really you're only losing three people that would be on the field um, in big moments. So it doesn't change my – opinion on this team based on the starters but it could hurt long run if you know injuries do start mounting up again and the depth becomes an issue on defense and especially at quarterback because uh in those first four games you're one play away from either having to use Jace Reuter and hope that he's at the point where you feel comfortable with him being under center or go to a guy like Manny Miles who Maybe he's not as talented as Jace Reuter, but he's been in the system for a couple 
couple more years, has a better feel for the offense. So that's where I think the biggest question mark out of these suspensions are for UNC is where their depth comes now. Yeah, I agree with that. Greg, what's your perspective? I actually think the fact, and this is not Fedora's way, but I actually think the fact that that Nathan Elliott now knows that he's going to be the guy, at least you know, the first portion of the year, I think that's probably a good thing. And I, you know, we've heard, especially if you go back to you know when Taylor was playing and you had the Mar- Mitch and Marquise battle going on, Everybody said, ah, I don't even know who's back there. You know, I'm just playing my position and trying to focus on the other team. Both quarterbacks are good. And I get it, and I know there's some truth there. But I, I just think that if you know who the guy's going to be at such an important position, and especially for him, uh, I think that's got to be beneficial for you to really build on, especially when there's so much you know, uncertainty maybe regarding that position coming into training camp. I think that's, that could be a good thing. And I do agree exactly with what Taylor was saying. I do think there are some positions where there's some concerns. Um, but I, I don't believe I don't believe it changes my outlook on this season. Uh, I still think, you know, California is going to be a tough game. Central Florida is going to be a tough game. Uh, and it's going to be a matter of, you know, how many of these close games can UNC win? And that's going to determine, you know, whether or not they go to, you know, a bowl game at six and six and they have to play in Detroit or, you know, they were able to scrap out a, a few more wins and we'll have to wait and see. But when you when you figure in that you're only talking about a couple of starters, most likely, and there are some some other key pieces, but a lot of these guys we're not going to be counting on necessarily this year. Uh, and so, I, you know, go back to 2010, there was a lot of guys in the starting lineup <laughs> that they were not able to play early. And that's a completely different story than, than what we're looking at right now. It is. And, um, you know, I think one of the kind of things that you touched on there, Greg, was just the fact that Nathan Elliott's going to be able to really know that he is the the number one guy. Do you kind of see him as being able to step into that role? I mean, I thought that the team rallied around him pretty well last year. So do you think that we'll kind of see a continuance of that this season? I would assume so. And I think Taylor's probably the better one to, to answer that because maybe he thinks I'm I'm way off on <laughs> my thinking about it doesn't necessarily matter, but um, I, I, I do think you know, it should be beneficial. And I think confidence wise, it helps him knowing that, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be the guy I, I've got to, I've got to make sure I do all the right things because I'm not necessarily battling the guy behind me. I'm, I'm battling the guy within me and I, I've got to be a better version of myself without worrying about maybe who's, who's you know, right there, you know, on the backside of my shoulder kind of pushing me. Uh, but but I I do think that's a good thing for him and he's a tough kid. I mean he's from Texas, you know, his dad was a coach. I think there's a lot of things that that play in his favor, and leadership's a big part of that. But but I am curious in, in Taylor's take on that whole situation. All right, Taylor, yeah. let's hear it, man. Yeah, I really like Nathan Elliott. Um, you know he's not going to be a guy who wins you games with a big arm, but I think a lot of people take the term like a game manager in like a negative way but he's got so many weapons around him um antonio williams out of the backfield michael carter jordan brown anthony ratliff williams at receiver anton green diami brown at receiver he's got so many weapons around him that he doesn't have to be you know the next mitch trubisky or he doesn't have to be the next bryn renner who's making a ton of plays with his arm he just has to 
stay within himself, you know, keep those chains moving. And then he's a guy that the players in the locker room gravitate towards. And that's not a knock on anybody else like Chaz Surratt. But Nathan has this ability in him to be a great leader. It's it's something that, you know, that he was just born with, I think. There was one time during um, a spring workout where the guys who miss their run times and the freshmen, the freshmen who just arrived on campus have to go through uh, conditioning on like an off day for conditioning. And, you know, it's only them out there, but Nathan Elliott made it a point that he wanted to be out there with those guys. And, you know, guys are struggling to make it through their runs and Nathan's out there. He's pushing guys through the line. He's running step for step with the offensive linemen who are struggling. He's a guy who, you know, he's going to do everything it takes to be a great quarterback. And that's why I'm, I'm high on Nathan Elliott because, you know, those guys kind of look at him the same way. Like this is a guy who like, I want to go to war with. All right, let's wrap up the, the podcast, guys, with talking really quick about the comments from Coach Fedora and then Bubba Cunningham. To me, both just kind of seemed pretty stereotypical answers at this point. I mean, it's kind of a, a relief to see UNC handle this situation. Kind of, I thought, how it should be. I mean, Bubba Cunningham flat out saying, it's over, this is the end. I forgot the exact words, but, you know, kind of put the finality to it. Greg, you were there. Was there anything that kind of stood out to you, or did it just seem as if Carolina's maybe learned from dealing with the NCAA in the past and talking a little bit too much? So this time they just wanted to say, "Hey, it's over with." Yeah, I think that's the the key element of it is you know, the the case is closed. That's that's what Cunningham said, and wow. he he really praised the compliance office. And if you go through the timeline of events, uh, they received an email. I think two days after the shoes were given to the players and you know, in a matter of 24 hours, they had the situation contained. So I do think it's important to, to showcase that, Hey, the compliance system is working. Um, that was, that was not uh, necessarily the case back in 2010. And so while you hate to see the suspensions, the fact that it was handled as best as it could be handled by both the coaching staff and the athletic department, I think it's a good thing. All right, Taylor, let's hear your thoughts and then just kind of wrap up, you know, kind of your overall view of of this latest um, kind of just speed bump for UNC football. Yeah, I think the administrative staff and the coaching staff handled it, you know, as best as they could and did a great job um, in kind of getting out to a point where it now it's behind them. The Everybody on the team knows who the suspensions are. Um, now they have a chance to just get that all in the past. And, you know, the first couple of weeks of training camp, you're kind of just focused on improving yourself. And then about seven to 10 days before the Cal game, you kind of turn your attention to Cal. So you know who's going to be playing in that Cal game. You can make sure they get all the reps they need and uh, just try to put this distraction behind you. And then I guess the biggest thing, the takeaway I have is, as a from from a UNC's perspective is you have all your starting running backs you have your starting offensive line still intact um your wide receivers outside of Bo Corrales all your tight ends are cleared you know you need this offensive revitalization in Chapel Hill for a big turnaround and uh you have you have the pieces there 
it's just going to be how fast can the offensive line kind of come together, I think. All right, Greg, anything else that, that you want to add, or is that about put a wrap on it? Yep, I think Taylor nailed it there with his last comments. I think the uh, offensive line is going to be a, a huge key. We've talked about that all offseason, and I don't think anything that happened today changes that. All right, guys. Well, we'll go ahead and um, call this one to an end then. For everyone listening in, we appreciate it. Stay tuned to Inside Carolina for additional coverage as the football season gets officially started. And for everyone here at Inside Carolina, thanks. Taylor, Greg, appreciate you guys joining me. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie.